Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. We're back, third hour now, up and running on the Pete Callender program. I am former Congressman Jason Lewis talking about politics, talking about a little bit of everything. Like, why in the hell are people going to this Barbie movie? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I don't get this Barbie. I mean, I talk about what's happening to society. We're not, <laughs> we're stuck in our childhood. It's very weird. I don't get this Barbie phenomenon at all. And then again, I never had a Barbie. I didn't even like Ken. Uh, but it's getting going crazy at the uh, at the movie theaters. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the shows I've been watching. Oh, I tell you what, I've been watching most of it streaming. Uh, if you watch Quarterback on uh, Netflix, it's about um, three quarterbacks last year: Mahomes, uh, Cousins, and Marietta. Of uh, and it's just fascinating inside look at the NFL and, and, and all of that as this football season heats up. It's a good series. But my two favorites are on Apple Plus TV. This new series called Hijack with the British guy uh, as the lead. What's his name? Idris Elba. Is that right? Uh, really good. Uh, that's good. And I can hardly wait for the next season of Slow Horses with Gary Oldman. Hilarious spoof about MI6. Uh, or MI5 in Great Britain. But Barbie, uh, it's not on the docket. I don't, someone please explain that to me. I do want to talk a little bit as we continue on with Politics 2024 about the next election. We've talked about this indictment, and if you want more information on it, I I can tell you to go to um, jasonlewis.substack.com. I write a newsletter there. It's called Jason's Newsletter, and I literally have gone over this indictment and how dangerous it really is. Um, and also my book, uh, if you like what you're hearing on the radio, we had Dave from Waxaw saying this is the first time he heard us and he really likes it. Check out the book. It's now on Audible, Dave. Party Animal, The Truth About President Trump, Power Politics, and the Partisan Press. My experience in Washington, as well as my experience running for the Senate in Minnesota, side by side with Trump. From Rochester to Mankato to Bemidji, I was right there with the president on Air Force One, and and we were going to win Minnesota. It was a done deal. I was tied the last week of October. President was three, four points down. He'd only lost Minnesota by one point. Halfway during the evening, we thought we were victorious, and shockingly, late on that election night, a bunch of votes came in for our opponents. I don't know. I'm just amazing how that works. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, take a listen it's a uh, audio version is out of party animal on itunes and audible but speaking of politics the morning uh, gang on wbt broke some news today with congressman uh, dan uh, bishop deciding that he'd had enough and you know i get this too i totally get it after having served in congress the i i i say in the book that being a member of Congress is not the hardest job you've ever had. Trust me, many of you have more challenging, tough jobs. I'll tell you what's a hard job. Electrician, that's a hard job, especially if you're dealing with 240 volts. Um, but it was one of the more exhausting jobs. 
You never have any downtime as a member of, of, of Congress, and especially if you're in a swing district like I was. You are either going from meeting to meeting in 15-minute increments every day, all day, or you're jumping on a plane coming home and you're touring the district yet again. And it is exhausting, and you feel at times like you're spinning your wheels. So I get it when, um, in fact, when, when I got elected in 2016, I called a fellow from Arizona who had just decided to quit after three or four terms. And I asked him, look, I'm going into this swamp. I'm, you're, you left. Why? And he said, I never felt health-wise right in D.C. Now, granted, he's changing a couple of time zones. But I never felt good there. And it is true. You get up on Monday morning, you head to Washington, you get off the plane, you immediately go to votes that afternoon. Then you've got meetings that night. Then you get up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you've got either meetings or you have to go across the street and make fundraising calls, or you've got another reception, then a committee hearing, then you're meeting with constituents in your office, then you've got legislative work, and it's then that you vote on Thursday night, jump on a plane, go home on fr- go home Thursday night, and you think, oh, I got Friday off. Oh, no, you don't. And Friday, you're touring the district. Saturday, you're doing a parade. And then you make more fundraising calls. I mean, it, it is exhausting. And if you're, you know, changing time zones, it can really get to you. So I'm not surprised that Congressman Bishop um, decided to say, you know what, I, I'm going to make a, a bigger impact if I run for attorney general in North Carolina. And I think he'd be a good one. I don't know Dan, but I think he'd be a good one. But what's interesting, what he told the morning crew on WBT was, effectively, it's time for a Nixonian return to law and order. And I love this. People forget the greatest comeback, as uh, as one pundit described Nixon. Remember, Nixon was down and out after the 1960 election. He was vice president of Eisenhower. They apparently didn't get along too well. And then he gets the nomination. And he should have won, but he lost to Kennedy. Although, speaking of elections, hmm, you don't suppose that JFK's dad had anything to do with finding votes in Texas and Illinois just in the nick of time, do you? <laughs> Look it up, folks, if you don't think there can be problems with uh, electoral shenanigans. But Nixon, who thought, actually, there was massive vote fraud, declined to, to challenge the election. He thought it would be bad for the country. So say what you want about Dick, Nick, Dick Nixon. You Trump haters ought to love him. But he lost. So then he runs for governor of California two years later loses i believe that was the time when he had the infamous line oh the press won't have dick nixon to kick around anymore remember that he's done his political career is over he's in the wilderness and all of a sudden something happened throughout the 60s that catapulted nixon into the greatest comeback in 68 and the presidency what was that what was that It was law and order. The 60s were like an Antifa BLM festival. Actually, to be honest with you, I think Antifa and BLM, at least what I saw in Minneapolis when half the town was burned to the ground, was worse. I really do believe that. But the 60s were were more frequent. 
the Students for a Democratic Society, the Black Panthers, the Weather Underground, bombings of police cars, you name it. So while it wasn't one cataclysmic event like the George Floyd riots, it was repeated over and over again throughout the 60s. People thought they were losing the country. There was no peace and tranquility. And that was the, the essence of government, according to the Declaration, domestic tranquility and the Constitution. So, Nixon decided in 1968, sharp political mind, to run on law and order. That's it. I'm running on law and order. Like, say what you want about tax policy, about monetary policy, even foreign policy, which Nixon excelled. Uh, we're going to run on law and order campaign. Say what you want. I'm going to clean up this town. You are not going to have a carjacking at every turn. There are not going to be shootings and trade and try on. Minneapolis isn't going to burn. Portland, Seattle, L.A., you name it, aren't going to become havens for drug-addled homeless derelicts who go into clothing stores in Westwood and chop up UCLA students. We are going to clean up the streets, by God, and we're going to do it now. Man, oh man, can you imagine if somebody... I look back right now in Minnesota and I think, you know, that'd be a good campaign strategy going forward for anybody in Minnesota and for North Carolina and for Oregon, Colorado, you name it. All of these urban areas are playgrounds for criminals. And the left likes it. They want to defund the police even more. Is it time for another law and order campaign and just focus on law and order? Boy. Back to the Carolinas, back to the cities, and politics has been a good life. I tell you, though, it's always nice to have an iron in the fire every now and then. I'm too old to do it full-time, right? (laughs) It takes more work than I remember, I'll tell you that. But it is great to be back and talk with my friends in the Carolinas, many of whom are very, very concerned about the rising crime levels in Charlotte. And that was an issue when I lived there. But uh, to you that are still there, you know that there are places you just don't go. And you've got a situation now with Congressman Bishop deciding, you know, I'm going to run as attorney general. And I'm going to run on, on law and order. And I, I really think he's ahead of the curve on this. And I think that's, I mean, a lot of statewide candidates in 2024 ought to be running on that issue. Hell, a lot of congressional districts ought to be running on that issue. But it's very, very tough to make crime a federal issue unless you're a liberal. Most criminal cases are state and local, as well they should. This is why this guy's leaving the federal government and going to state government. But I think it's a fantastic 2024 campaign theme. And talk about needed. I come from a state that created Defund the Police. My opponent in 2020, Senator Tina Smith, encouraged the rioters. She called them righteous protesters while they're burning down the third precinct. She's a lunatic. And Governor Tim Walls of Minnesota. And I I bring up Minnesota, A, because it's my home state. But B, we're the ones that unleash this national crime wave. When Governor Walls said... In the midst of rioting and the burning and looting of a police precinct, decided, quote, and I'm using his euphemism, not to engage, unquote. 
Basically, he told the police to get out, stand down. What that has done, unleashed nationwide the greatest rioting and criminal activity since the Rodney King era, since the 1960s. So now it's not just Minneapolis. It's elements of Charlotte, certainly Atlanta. Washington, D.C. is is <laughs> far more unsafe than when I was there. New York City. Chicago is a nightmare. Seattle is a nightmare. Portland is a nightmare. Denver, L.A. Need I go on? Is it? Does it sound ripe for a law and order campaign? Boy, do I think so. Anyway, what do you think? 704-570-1110, the contact line for the Pete Callender program. Also, a follow-up to this. A couple of days ago, we had the co-founder of the RFK Jr. Super PAC on. And in that conversation, we talked about the rise of Robert Kennedy's popularity among Republican conservatives and how he is despised by partisan Democrats who care only about the regime. We don't care if Joe Biden is as senile as the man in the moon. By God, he's our senile president, and we'll do anything to protect him. And that's what Democrats do. They circle the wagons. I mean, Biden's a, an embarrassing joke, and he's clearly not competent enough to be president. He's not running the country. And yet, they surround him, and they back him 100%. And they hate RFK. They hate a Kennedy. But Republicans like RFK because he's talking to them about covid He's talking to them about crony capitalism. He's talking to them about the NIH, things that matter to them, medical freedom. So now, Ron DeSantis is the last fella, the Florida governor who's running for president, who said if elected, he just might unleash RFK on some of these crony capitalists in the public health arena, big pharma. You know, when I asked the co-founder of the Super PAC here a couple of days ago on this very program, if you were listening, whether Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would serve as attorney general in a second Trump administration, he said he couldn't speak for RFK, but he didn't say no. He did not say no. And I found that rather intriguing. So... I got to thinking about this with regard to another campaign strategy in addition to the law and order theme that someone ought to adopt, everyone ought to adopt. But what would be one way for a presidential candidate to to, to put themselves out there um, before, to get a jump start on the race? I think I've got an idea. Let me uh, let me tell it to you when we come back and then get back to some phone calls. Stick around, everybody. You're on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. 
food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings educators and vendors from all over to help people do just that. I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? It's good to be back at WBT, so uh, one more day. We'll give it a shot. And then Pete is back on Monday, 10, rested and ready. In the meantime, your call is at 704-570-1110. I want to explore this RFK thing a little bit. Uh, plus these campaign strategies for 2024, if you will. I, I think the law and order thing ought to be just pounded home. And I mean run on it. I am the law and order can, candidate, period. You know, everybody else can say, say anything they want, but I'm going to clean up the streets. I think that has some currency. But Steve Bannon of the War Room, uh, the Trump advisor that most people know, said the other day, that if Donald Trump were to pick Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a Democrat from a lifelong Democrat family, has his running mate on the Republican ticket, they would win in a landslide. Now, there are so darn many obstacles to this, one hardly knows where to begin, and that is most of the the laws governing the ticket, the ballots are crafted by the respective parties and they have bylaws as well that would preclude a lot of this, but laws are meant to be changed. Bylaws and charters are meant to be adjusted. I mean, if that were to happen, how would you feel about that? Now, RFK, you know, you unleash him on big tech, on big pharma, on the corporate cronyism, who's by the way, most, um, troubling manifestation is what they do on the hill vis-a-vis and lobbying um it is a it is an influence that is omnipresent so i would um i'd like to ask all of you as republicans if you're if you are one or democrats because kennedy comes from a democrat family what (laughs) what would you think of robert f kennedy jr now i let me just give you one more campaign strategy while we're at it, while we're just spitballing here. I don't know why, like Lincoln's team of rivals, I don't know why, especially Trump right now. I mean, DeSantis actually was pretty smart in saying that. I'm going to unleash Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on on all these corporate cronies from Disney to Big Pharma to Big Tech. There's an appetite for that out there, and that's why Kennedy's so popular amongst that crowd. But if you're Donald Trump and you are the target of a regime that has weaponized law enforcement, uh, federal law enforcement, you need to sort of divert attention. Although there is an argument to be made here. We are talking about Trump again. He's going to remain front runner no matter what they try to do to him because Trump discovered long ago, the, 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 the planes that land safely every hour don't get the attention. Um, and, you know, whether it's a crash or not, as in politics, you want you want folks to be talking about you. But be that as it may, uh, you don't want all the bad talk, right? So what do you think about this? Trump starts to roll out not only his vice presidential 
candidate. And there have been tons of names from Kerry Lake to Tulsi Gabbard to, to RFK. But he rolls out his cabinet, not just his VP, his cabinet. Now, the, the consultancy class, which has delivered us the Republican swamp from Mitch McConnell to the uh, Uber Hawks in the House, they will say, oh, you can't do that. You, you want to know why you can't do that? Because one of these candidates might have a skeleton in the closet that CNN would love to distort, would love to highlight. And the more you announce, the more potentiality there is for somebody discovering that he actually said something that offended people 20 years ago. So you can't do it. But this is the Republican consultancy class that gets quoted in the Wall Street Journal every day that doesn't know jack and that has given us the swamp we've got. Seriously, oh my gosh, don't get me going on consultants. If you want to know my opinion on consultants, read Party Animal or listen to it at Audible. Uh, I give you the whole chapter on it, on the swamp. But the bottom line is these guys can serve as lightning rods as well. So let's just say Trump goes, here's my, 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 I'll announce my VP at the very last But I'm right now in front of all of you in real time. I'm going to announce my cabinet. Let's start with the attorney general. And I'm proud to announce that the attorney general in the second Trump administration will be the son of the last great attorney general, Bobby Kennedy, his son, RFK Jr. Now, the AG's role fits into what Robert Kennedy's been doing, suing big business for most of his career. And that can be good and it can be bad. You can overdo that as well, to be sure. You don't want paralysis by litigation. But there is so much crony capitalism out there, so much abuse of monopoly power by big tech, by big pharma, so much untoward lobbying that, you know what, even if Kennedy... Even if there are, are casualties, minor casualties, it would be worth it, worth it to watch. But if Trump announced that, all of a sudden, the media would certainly go after Kennedy, but they wouldn't be going after Trump. Let the lightning rods handle a little bit of this stuff. I mean, you could announce Doug McGregor has your new defense secretary. The actual real war hero that is very, very hesitant to get us into further wars. You could go right down the list and really start to assemble a reason, despite all of the attacks, to vote for a second Trump term. I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, It hasn't been done. Maybe it's time. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. 
Oh, sure, sure, sure. I talk about crime, unrelenting crime in Charlotte, how a law and order campaign could fix that. But really, really, just listen to Charlotte liberals. Listen to the city council, the observer, the Charlotte Democrats. Really, all we need is another light rail line. Yeah, I just need to extend light rail. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we need to annex a few more towns so they can't escape as well. Right, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Those were the same issues, by the way. Uh, when I was in Charlotte on WBT, a constant power grab by the Charlotte City Council uh, telling, you know, that they just wanted to control the entire area and, and the demand that we get rid of the internal combustion engine and have everybody live in a high rise next to a light rail station. Light rail's the future. You know what criminals call light rail? A captive audience. And they, I mean, everywhere it's been tried. From Charlotte to the Twin Cities to Portland to L.A. Now the crisis on the New York subways. It's, it's a disaster that doesn't pay for itself, that drains dollars from the Federal Highway Trust Fund, along obviously with big-time local expenditures. But they, they, they're intent. They're intent because there's an agenda, friends. And the agenda is, is a knee-jerk one. For every, and it always revolves around control. We're going to control how much energy you use because the world is on fire. I mean, this, this, the global climate change thing is all about control, but controlling the ballot box, controlling your energy consumption, now controlling what you say, controlling what you think, the cancel culture. Um, these are the very people who so crave power, they should never have it. Well, I'll give you another perfect example. We've got a situation here where Bud Light is bleeding dollars. They continue to lose ground with consumers during a very, very busy summer beer season. And their their biggest brand is running into the ground after they decided to lecture their they're beer drinkers on the virtue of transgenderism. You remember they hired Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender influencer, as though there's such a thing, to be a spokesperson. And lo and behold, the whole thing crashed and burned. What used to be as recently has this winter, this last winter, the number one beer in America, Bud Light has cratered, and now Modelo is number one. I mean, they have cratered. Their share of beer sell sales in the United States retail market has gone from just over 10% to just under 7% in a, in a span of months. I mean, this has been a cosmic collapse, right? So we now know that the vast majority of everyday North Carolinians who enjoy a, a, a good beer after a hot summer day don't want to be lectured about transgenderism and don't even support this refutation of biological reality. A boy's a boy and a girl's a girl. Sorry, gang. But then, but then, why are states, and it may be as many as half the states, passing gender-affirming laws to make certain that minors can be transitioned by adults who know better 
without any interference to protect them. We now know, in fact, that many of these people that have quote-unquote transitioned come to regret it, and that a a good chunk of people quote-unquote outgrow their desire for transition when they are confused adolescents, but yet we are going to permanently alter their bodies. In fact, it involves mutilation. Big medicine loves this crap. Because they make the, the, the gang at Children's Hospital loves this stuff because they make a lot of money off of permanently altering young kids who don't have any knowledge of what they're doing, who are too young to realize the ramifications. Adults are supposed to be there to protect them. Instead, they are destroying them. So we know from the, the Bud Light experience that I'm going to go out and say it. I'm going to extrapolate. The vast majority of Americans are are not into this mindless obsession with transitioning minors. The, the, The Bud Light experiment is a perfect example, the best poll you could possibly take. But you've got states all over the country that have passed, quote unquote, gender affirming laws, which say and which critics will contend interferes with parental rights if you've got schools or psychologists or hospitals that are counseling these kids without the knowledge of their parents and that has happened although infrequently but it has happened and encouraging these kids to do this why we're going to affirm that it's gender affirming gender re-identity affirming so they're 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 making certain that a minority viewpoint becomes the law of the land because the elites have the money to speak the loudest. They have the money to elect their people, and they're doing it. We are being governed by a minority viewpoint of elites, and I can think of no better example than this bizarre obsession with transitioning. Young people, there ought to be unanimity in America. Seriously, in a perfect world, a world that hasn't gone absolutely stark raving mad, we could all agree that, you know what? Minors, 12-year-olds, let alone 7-year-olds, are probably too young and have not achieved the wisdom through the years to know they want to switch their biology as though that were even possible. They want to self-mutilate. We're not going to let them. As a society, we're just going to say, you know what? Why don't you wait till you're 18 at the very least? Really 21, really 30. But 18, that's the legal age. We'll do that. You can decide for yourself as an adult. It's a free country. But we don't let minors take heroin. We don't let minors sign contracts. We don't let them vote for now. The left wants them to vote because they're easily gullible, if you will. We don't do that, but we let them decide they want to mutilate their own bodies, a permanent alteration. Have we gone absolutely mad? Yes. In a nutshell, we have. And this is what a very, very small elite that has the microphone, has the money, is doing. And they are a small elite. Otherwise, bud sales, if this were a wonderfully popular position to have, why Dylan Mulvaney would have catapulted bud sales into the stratosphere. The opposite has happened. That ought to tell you something. 
And I will be back tomorrow to tell you even more on a Beetle Bumper Friday. Jason Lewis, one more day in for Pete Callender. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank <laughs> you.